0: Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me to the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, lest I obtain mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love, which was in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Whom I am she. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever. And would you open God's book please to Acts chapter 7? We're going to begin there in just a couple of minutes. We're going to do chapter 7, a little in chapter 8. And what I want to do is to really center our attention today in Acts chapter 9. As a matter of fact, this case study of Saul of Tarsus will be both this morning and this evening. I I intended to preach this sermon in one sermon, but I I changed my mind. There's so much that I want to say about it and Tonight, we're going to be driving toward the bottom of chapter 9, beginning in 26. And where I really want to get is to where the Bible says that Saul joined himself to the church at Jerusalem. Now, I'm doing this because we have a large number of new people in this congregation. I mean a large number, uh, not only of people who have been baptized, but a lot of people who have placed membership over the last little while. And I want to emphasize some things about the church. Now, When you do Acts chapter 9, it's it's really important, and if if I ask, by the way, if I ask our kids where you read about the conversion of Saul, uh, and I'm not going to do it right now, I will do that tonight, but if I ask the kids where you read about Saul's baptism, they would shout out Acts 9, and they'd be right. What's really interesting, though, is that you have Luke giving the book of Acts, and he gives this historic record of what happened. But then the apostle Paul later is going to review, he's going to rehearse his conversion in other chapters. And Caleb, Caleb read one in 1st Timothy 1 a few minutes ago, but also you have not just Acts chapter 9, that's where the history is given by Luke, but then in Acts chapter 22, Paul's going to be looking back on that and give us some more details. Acts chapter 27, Galatians chapter 1, and anyway, it's, it's just fascinating for Paul to rehearse that conversion. Here's what happened to me, and then he will mention details that we didn't see in Acts chapter 9. And and we'll see some of that this morning. Anyway, you got to come back tonight because I want to I want to finish this tonight. And really tonight is where I'm driving. I just don't think you can I don't think that Luke who wrote this with the um, inspiration of Holy Spirit. I don't think he meant for us just to read about where I'm going. He intended for us to have this history to build up to get us to this place, and so there there you are. The second thing I want to point out as we get to the the lesson, one more preliminary thing. I always want you to remember that the church is spoken of in the New Testament in three different ways. The first way is the universal sense. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, when you had 3,000 people baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that 3,000 souls, and they were added to the church. Now, that's the universal sense in which the word church is used. It doesn't mean a particular congregation. As a matter of fact, they're going to scatter abroad, but but they were still part of the church in the universal sense of the term. The second way that the word church is used is the congregational sense. And, And you have that all through the New Testament, too. For example, Colossians, First um, Corinthians, chapter one and verse two: "The church of God, which is at Corinth." That's not the universal sense, of course. That's the congregational sense. Romans sixteen sixteen: "The churches of Christ salute you." All what that means is that the congregations of the Church of Christ in a given area, like Madison County, Alabama, the salute you. And and so these are congregations, and this is the congregational use of the term church. The third way that it's used is in the assembled sense, now, like we have here. And I, you know, it's similar to congregational, but it's, it's a little narrower. In Matthew chapter 18, remember this phrase, but if you won't hear them, tell it to the church. Well, that's the assembled. I would argue that's the assembled group of people on that given day. That's, that's the people that got together and Jesus referred to them as the church there. All right. Just, just hold that because that's going to become important later as we walk through our discussion. All right. F- point number one. Now, I'm going to go to Acts chapter seven first. And the first point of our lesson is this. Saul was the champion of the enemies of the church of Christ. There we are. And and so you have Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is stoned. When you get to the bottom of the chapter, remember there's a a brief, just a brief passing mention of Saul. Now what's interesting about this is that he's holding the coats of those who stoned Stephen, which seems frankly rather incidental, but it won't be. Verse 58 says, They cast him out of the city and stoned him, stoned Stephen. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man whose name was Saul. Now you're introduced to him. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now you might want to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, bear in mind that Luke wrote this long time after it happened. Some figure that maybe it was written around, well, just after Jerusalem was destroyed, so maybe as late as 80 A.D. So he writes this history of the beginning of the church, the book of Acts. Well, you know, sometimes uh, we, we might be tempted to hide particular things of a great man. If we were writing a book about a really great man, we we might leave some things covered. Why should we raise them? Everybody knows how wonderful he is. And and surely that's true about the Apostle Paul. And maybe Luke would have felt like that. I'm just not going to talk about those, but it's not like that at all. As a matter of fact, he drills down. He wants us to know how bad Saul really was. Why? Why is that important? And the answer is because he wants us surely to know That there's nobody beyond the gospel. I mean, we we must never, ever hesitate to teach somebody the gospel because we judge them somehow untouchable. I mean, if there was anybody in the world who was ever untouchable with the gospel, it would have been Saul. And surely Luke wants us to know that. Holy Spirit wants us to know this. You get to the bottom of chapter 7, and the Bible says he holds the coats of those. And he was watching. He watched Watch them throw rocks at our brother Stephen until he died, and then you get to chapter eight and unless you lest you want to say or I would be motivated to say, well maybe maybe uh, there, maybe Saul was just compelled. To come and hold those. Maybe he was like Simon of Serene and they just compelled him to carry the cross of our Lord. Well, maybe that's all there is to this. Saul was compelled. He was sort of forced to hold the garments of people stoning Stephen. That's all there is. There's nothing more to that. Then you start chapter 8. And Saul was consenting to his death. See, there's the narrator of this, who reads the heart of Saul and says, now don't you be thinking that. I don't want you to be thinking that Saul was good and maybe this was just a, he was a victim of circumstance. That's not what's happening. The the New American Standard says, are you ready for this? Saul was in hearty agreement. Whew, that chills me. He held the coats, watched them stone this Christian named Stephen, and he was in hearty agreement. And at that time, A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc. Havoc. It means, it means to destroy. It means to rip apart. He made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now you flip your page to chapter 9. I want to start in verse 1. Now here's an interesting word. I'm in the New King James. Some will use the word yet. New King James uses the word still. I've underlined it in my Bible. And Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He still was doing that. Now what do you reckon about that word? Why would he say that? And the answer must be that he, Saul, has seen enough now that he should have paused. He should. Why would he want to go? He's heard that the gospel has penetrated Damascus now. That's going to be Acts chapter nine. It's gotten into Damascus. I think it's about four days' journey for Saul, and so he still wants to do it. He wants to get there and hail many women, putting them in prison. Still. And and perhaps the still part is referencing back to Acts 7. I mean, the very idea that, that Saul would have to hear that man, Stephen, dying and praying for those throwing the rocks at him. Lay not this sin at their charge. And maybe, I wonder if you think people like Saul, a Pharisee of Pharisees, you think they made fun of Jesus when they heard that he prayed for the people who were crucifying him? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Maybe they laughed about that. And maybe sometimes somebody like Saul was told that and said, he didn't say that. You know, that's just romanticizing this man. That's how people are. They follow him. There's nothing to that. But now Saul has heard this with his own ears from the mouth of Stephen. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And then he died. Who dies like that? Who's, who, who's executed like that? I don't know that's the point, but when you get to chapter nine, verse one, and the Bible says that Saul was still doing it, he was still doing this. Maybe I think that there comes a time in a man's wickedness that when exposure comes to show that it really is a wicked way he's living, that there may be a an adrenaline rush from Satan. It says, "Don't you let them change you." And maybe it comes in the form of thinking, "But I would be so ashamed." It can't be wrong. I couldn't have been wrong all this time. And put yourself in the shoes of Saul. Go ahead. It isn't just that he. It isn't just that he fought against Jesus. It isn't just that he tried to stop the church from existence. It's that he. He did it with a furious rage. It's interesting to me that in Acts 9, verse 2, it says, both men and women. Why do you suppose it says that? Couldn't it just said people? I think he's drilling down to show us. Luke says, you've got to see it. You won't appreciate his conversion unless you see it. This makes me a little sick in my stomach to think. These are are our brothers and sisters in the early church, y'all. And, and it, and can you, I can, you know, it's bad enough to take a man. What's he guilty of? Following Jesus Christ? Doing just what you're doing? They weren't malicious people. They weren't, they weren't aggressive people who were trying to physically fight their way into people's homes. They weren't, they weren't a threat to anybody. But now you see him putting chains or ordering chains put on the women. Can you just picture those Christian women? Picture Christian women in this church right now. It'd be bad enough to do it to a man, but you think about chaining a woman because she's a child of God, a Christian, and dragging her off. Now, that's not only was that mentioned here in Acts 9, but when Paul is thinking about it later and about how bad it was, the way he lived, he references back and says, "And it was men and women, Now, so here's point number one, is that he was the champion. He was the champion. He was still doing it. Maybe, maybe it's getting harder for him to do. I don't know, but he's getting more aggressive. And here he goes off to Damascus. Now, here's point number two, is that in Damascus, in the city of Damascus, is where he becomes a Christian. Now, this this point becomes pretty interesting and important. When you are studying one-on-one with somebody who's been exposed to a denomination that Practices baptism, but absolutely rejects the, the teaching that baptism is necessary to have your sins washed away and there are a lot of those folks there are a lot of those preachers preaching that simply false doctrine today baptism they 'll baptize people, but they want them to know when they go down to the water this has nothing to do with the forgiveness of your sins. your sins are already forgiven when you mentally acknowledged. Jesus Christ, that all of your sins were forgiven, and your baptism right now is for the purpose of showing that you're already forgiven. Well, I'd say that's bad. I'd say that's really bad because the Bible teaches that baptism is the point at which we have forgiveness for our sins. And if my baptism shakes a fist at that, it compromises the baptism. And that person would need to be baptized scripturally. He'd need to be, be baptized again. Now, if you just read Acts chapter 9 about, about Saul's baptism, you might miss this point because it's when in Acts 22 that, that Paul would write about this and he would give us this detail that absolutely makes it crystal clear. Let me show you what I mean. So I'm back in Acts chapter 9 now. Let's start at verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's in red in my Bible, that last line. That's because it was Jesus from heaven talking to him. Why are you persecuting me? Now, here's a parenthetical note. When you persecute the Christians, the people of Jesus, you're persecuting him. And that's what Jesus says. Why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, because Saul knows that Jesus was crucified. And now he's blind, just like that. And at the same simultaneous time, you have Jesus talking to him. I mean, it, it made a believer out of him. He said, You you can tell he believes this. This is Jesus. What do you want me to do, Lord? Go into a city, to the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blind. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. Now hold that in your mind. That's where he is. He's in the city of Damascus. He was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord had said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And that's what I would be doing too, boy. I tell you that right now. That's what I'd be doing. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, but the Lord said, go your way, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Parenthetical note. God didn't make Saul obey the gospel. Saul still had the the free will to choose this. God showed him the I mean, Jesus shows him the truth here, but he's going to, through Ananias, but he's going to have to obey it. God knows the future, though, before it happens. God knows what's going to happen before it occurs. 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came and has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples who were at Damascus. He arose and was baptized. Now, I suppose that you could read that and say, well, I'd like to know more about that. And you could go then to Paul's writings, like in Romans 6 about baptism, and you could say, hey, I know what that baptism was for. It was to be baptized into Christ, into his death. But, and that, that'd be fine, but I want to take you over to Acts chapter 22 now. and And let's read just a few verses because what you'll get is some details that you don't have from Acts 9. This is Paul rehearsing the matter later. I'm in verse 3 of Acts 22. I am indeed a Jew, Paul says, born in Tarsus. Now, this is a good time later. A city of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are today. Look, he says, "I, I was a Jew just like you, and I believed everything you did, and I fought against Christ. I fought against the Christians just like you do. I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. And also, as also the high priest bears me witness. And he, and he can, goes on. Let, let, let's go on down now for time's sake. Verse 14, or 13. Ananias came to me and he stood and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour I looked up, up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 16 is just huge. We didn't get it in Acts 9. We didn't get all this, these details of the discussion from Ananias. But now Paul is rehearsing it later and he says, here's what happened and here's what he said. Now, now bear this in mind. What that means is that you, you look back on the road to Damascus and you have You have Saul and his entourage going there, and there's this bright light, and he's blinded. So there's a miraculous thing that happened to Saul in giving him that blindness, taking away his sight, but his sins weren't washed away then. And he heard the voice of Jesus, and Jesus had a brief conversation with him, but his sins weren't washed away then. The Bible doesn't say that. And he gets up and he goes to Damascus. And in the, in that city of Damascus, he's sitting there for three days. What's he doing? Well, I'll tell you what he's not doing. He's not eating or drinking. He's fasting because he is utterly consumed with what's happening. Utterly consumed. And we would understand that. But that, and, and, oh, one more thing. Acts 9 and verse 9 says he's praying. He's sitting there praying. Can you imagine that prayer? I think it took all sorts of twists and turns as he reasoned with God and said, this is true, I thought it was false, and look at the terrible things that I've done, but it was true, it was true, and Jesus is real, he's resurrected from the dead, and all these people that I've been hurting, they were right all along, and I was wrong. Don't you suppose that's what he prayed? It was a prayer of repentance, he was repenting. Surely he was repenting, scared to death of what was going to happen. But his sins weren't washed away. That prayer, I'm telling you, it hadn't happened yet. And then Ananias comes to him, gives him his sight, and among other things says this, Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The fact of the matter is that he was saved not on the road to Damascus. The Bible says his sins were washed away, and that's, Synonymous with being saved, of course, when your sins are washed away. And that occurred inside of Damascus three days later when he was baptized. Now, here's number three. Here's the final point for this morning. And it's this. Put up the next one, would you? There you go. Saul stayed in Damascus. All right. Now, now, I I told you this this, uh, sermon, these sermons are going to be about our new members. Well, here we go. So there's the story that brings you up to, to Saul now as a Christian himself. And, and here's something that we just might brush over. It's in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18. So he becomes a Christian. Well, what happens then? What does he do right then? Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who those who were apostles before me. Here's what he wanted people to know. Now now that I became a Christian and he was made an apostle by Jesus Christ, I don't know exactly the moment that happened. I suppose when he, when he obeyed the gospel it happened. But what I know is this, it was important to Saul to say, I didn't have to go to Jerusalem to the other apostles to get permission to be an apostle. I didn't have to have their permission to be a Christian and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a man wants to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ today, whose permission does he have to get? And the answer is... He's already got permission by the Great Commission. He's got permission going to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And Saul, it was important to him to say, I didn't have to go to those apostles in Jerusalem to get permission to carry out the will of the Lord about this. I got it directly from heaven. So he said, I didn't go to Jerusalem, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Now study that verse, look at it with me. We do not know how long he was in Arabia. It appears a short amount of time. I want to say this. uh, When preachers get older, you know, they chase rabbit trails. And I I feel like I'm doing that, but I just want to say this to you. So he goes to Arabia. For what purpose? We don't know. This is the mention of it. But it could be. It seems logically it would be this. If you were him, don't you reckon you'd want to go to some private place and sit and ponder all of this? Don't you think you'd want to go sit and think about it? Somebody said, I think it was Lightfoot who wrote that he thinks that maybe Saul went to Mount Sinai and sat there where the Ten Commandments came to Moses. Just to think about it. Just to pray and to be alone and to think about what's happened and what he's doing and all of that. I I don't know. But what I do know is that this says he went to Damascus. Now use the reason through that. But that But that he, he had brought papers from the authorities to persecute the Christians in Damascus. And now he's a Christian himself. And what does he do? Where does he go? And the answer is he wants to be in Damascus. And what he does is to, to head out to unite himself with the church in Damascus. That's going to become even more apparent tonight when we get to 26. And it says he's going to go to Jerusalem and do the same thing. He's going to join himself to those Christians. The point is that he wanted to be part of this church. Now, it's not going to be easy because they're scared to death of him. Any question about that? They're just scared of him. But what he's going to do is start preaching boldly. And it'll prove that he's not what he was. And, and, and people are going to start hating him, and he knows why, because he used to do it himself. He knows where this is going to lead, him when people are around the synagogue whispering because he's preaching, he knows what they're saying because he used to be one of them, and he would say the same thing, and he knew ultimately it would end where Stephen end, ended. It would end there for him. But I would say that was success. George Bernard Shaw said, if you want to really compliment an author burn his books it was having it was striking its target it was but they couldn't defeat his arguments he was too powerful he spoke with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he was decimating their false ideas it was they couldn't defeat his arguments so what they wanted to do is to defeat him and that escalated and it showed the power of his preaching and when you finish with Damascus, I mean, he stayed there for three years. And he gets close to that church. And that's, you read between the lines here. And what you got is that finally the heat gets too hot and they're going to kill him. And the Christians know it. And they let him down the wall there in a basket. They lower him down the wall. And, and he heads to Jerusalem. They just, they don't want him to die. And and so the design of the church, here's Romans chapter 12 and verse 5. Take me to Romans 12 and verse 5, please. There you go. This This is the design of the church. And by the way, Paul would write this later. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And when he came away from Damascus or he came away from baptism, he wanted to be part of the church there. It's not going to be easy. We'll talk about that some more tonight. not going to be easy, but that's what he wants. He knows that this is one body, and he needs to be a part of that body, and that's what he accomplished. And so he preaches and teaches, and he gets involved, and and it's a lesson for people today. We weren't intended to be isolated Christians. We never were. We're intended to be united into a body called the church, into a congregation, Call the church. It's, it's the way that it was designed. It's the way that it works the best. I, I don't, um, I don't make a habit of quoting television shows or movies. I, I don't know. I, sometimes preachers do. I, I never had care, have cared too much for that. And I'm going to make an exception today because I found this quote from William Shatner. William Shatner, as you perhaps remember, Star Trek when I was a kid and Captain Kirk. But he went in 2021 on Bezos Space shuttle thing, and he went into space. And, uh, you know, he was, he was uh, Kirk, he was Captain Kirk, he was space, he was, everybody was talking about him as, but he'd never really been to space, of course, until now. And it was a, it was hyped up and big news about this. And then he came back and he said something very interesting. He said this. My trip into space was supposed to be a celebration. Instead, it felt like a funeral. It was among the strongest feelings of grief I've ever encountered. The contrast between the vicious coldness of space and the warm nurturing of earth below filled me with overwhelming sadness. Everything I had thought was wrong. Everything I had expected to see was wrong. I had a different experience because I discovered that the beauty isn't out there. It's down here with all of us. Leaving that behind made my connection to our tiny planet even more profound. And Saul has realized that what he had wasn't it. He was wrong. And now he wants to be part of the warmth and joy, camaraderie, faith, safety of the church. Of a congregation of God's people in Damascus. How long will he stay there? He'll stay there in that place for three years. You'll come back tonight. I want to take up now with really where I'm, I'm going with all of this, and it starts in verse 26 of chapter 9. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at collie at westhuntsville.org.